So just a couple new faces. Let me just kind of talk about our premise. This is hear him, trying to increase our ability to hear and understand revelation. I want to flow. I want more knowledge. I want more to flow from heaven to me. We spent the whole first of our class trying to understand what's coming from heaven, in what form, how do I increase it, what are the rules. Then we began to see a significant pattern in the scriptures. That Heavenly Father gives us very much control over what's coming from Him by what we do in other portions of our life. You control the flow from heaven. So we've been spending some time on what are those things that increase revelation coming from Heavenly Father. Forgiving others was a prominent one. And then where we've been for the last couple of weeks is there's this pattern in the scriptures that shows a major concern of the Savior that in the latter days, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between wheat and tares. That, the prevalence of that concept throughout the scriptures tells me it's a major concern of God in, the day, in your world, that you are growing up in a world where it's difficult to, ter- to tell the difference between wheat and tear. And because of that, as I see it, you've got four possibilities. Sometimes you're going to look at someone and say, I see wheat. Come into my life. Come into my heart. I welcome you into my life. And what they turned out to be was wheat. And I got it right. And I am nourished. I know you've all gotten it right. You've all let the right person into your life, haven't you? And you can now see that I got it right. The other positive is I looked at someone and said, you're a tear. Or maybe it wasn't a person. Maybe it was something. You're a tear. You're poison. Everyone else seems to think you're great, but I can see that you're not. And I'm going to keep you at a distance. And you've lived long enough to say, I, I got it right. I kept out a tear. Those are when we're successful. The problem, though, is occasionally we see wheat and let them into our life, and it turns out to be a tear. We poisoned ourselves. And that has a dramatic effect on what's flowing from heaven, doesn't it? As you look back on your life, can you realize that I controlled, I lessened the flow when I let the wrong people into my life? I can. I let tears in disguised as wheat, and it affected this. The other negative is, I saw a tear, but what it really was was wheat. I kept out what would have nourished me had I let it in. I starved myself because I kept something out. So we've been here for the last couple of weeks. We've talked about some common tears that we let into our lives as wheat and they affect the flow. Removing the tears is critical. And then last week we did probably the biggest one of these. The wheat we keep out as a tear. The the most nourishing wheat that sometimes I keep at a distance is the Savior himself. We love him and we're terrified of him. 
and we keep him at a distance. We open the door and let him in after I've cleaned up and I've dressed. But when does he want to come in? He wants to come in in the mess. But how do you feel about letting him in in the mess? Embarrassed. Embarrassed. Yeah. And so, so what do you do? You keep the greatest source of help at a distance because of your embarrassment. And that's, that's an example of I see tear when it's really weak. So allow me to do one more of these before we like next week's our last class and I want to do one more of these. I think there is someone you are not fully letting into your life. And it's costing you revelation. I think there is some person, I think the person to whom you are the least kind. is you. You are the person you're keeping out as a tear. I think it is our natural tendency to see the flaws. I think I know why people don't like to see pictures of themselves. Because when I look at me, I see a flaw. And then when I look at a picture of me, I realize that you see the flaw. And I don't like the fact that you see the flaw. So let me take you on a little scriptural journey. I think I can point out where this began. I call this the original temptation, the very first temptation, because I think it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Turn with me to Moses. Moses chapter 3. Pearl of Great Price, Moses chapter 3. Now, starting in verse 9, there's two trees in the Garden of Eden. Tree of knowledge of good and evil, tree of life. So go there, Moses, pearl of great price. I'll pull it up so we can do it together. Moses chapter 3. All right, ready? Verse 16. Now let me read it. And then I need you to direct me as I act it out. Okay, I'm going to act it out. You tell me what to do to act it out. So this is where God comes down to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, there were not only two trees. Right? How many trees were in the Garden of Eden? Many, many trees. So Heavenly Father comes down, and I, the Lord God, commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Now, I want to emphasize the word every. Let me read it again. You picture what you, how you're going to direct me. Ready? Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't. Now, I'm going to be, I'm going to pretend to be the father as we act out this play. Tell me what to do when I say the word every. That's it. Tell me what Heavenly Father always points out in your life. All that you are of every tree. There's only one that I've held back. 
of every tree thou mayest freely eat. Heavenly Father will always point out all that you have, all that you are. Look at all that I made when I made you of every tree. Now, we're going to use the same word. We're going to contrast that with a different scene. You tell me how to act this one out. Ready? Chapter 4. We're going to use the exact same word. Ready? Verse 7. This is the serpent. This is Satan. Let me read it. You ponder how to direct me. Ready? And he said unto the woman... Hath God said, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat from every tree of the garden? Let me say it again. Ready? You, you're going to direct me. Hath God not said, or hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree? Same word. Direct me this time. What am I, Satan, doing when I say the word every? He's turning like, your attention away from what you don't have. I'm pointing to what? Didn't Heavenly Father say you could eat from every tree? In other words, what will Satan always point out? What you can't. Now, can I ask a piercing question? Who are you listening to? You have a heavenly father who has planted so many trees in your life, done so much good. You are so many things. And heavenly father would come into your life and say, of every tree thou mayest freely eat. Your heavenly father will always point out all that you are, all that you have, everything that you can do. But you have an enemy who will point out what? What you can't. All that you aren't. So tell me what happens when you walk into a room with other people. Anyone want to be honest? What do we do? Take a look around. I start noticing. I start noticing people. Now, what catches your eye? Let, I'm six foot four. I know this sounds silly, but it bothers me when people are taller than I am. I know, right? When I go to a store and someone's taller than me, it's like, you're taller than me. And it's almost like, you can't be taller than me. I just, I've always been the tallest person and I notice tall people. I also notice the people that are what I'm not. My sweet, angelic wife has given birth 10 times. 10 human beings have come out of that woman. Can you guess what her belly looks like after 10 pregnancies? Now that sweet woman walks into a room and who does she notice? Tell me what she notices. Her eye naturally gravitates to all the thin women who are what she isn't. 
we notice what we're not. We're noticed when someone else has what I don't. And it reinforces that idea that I don't. Now, again, let me ask the piercing question. Who, to whom, are you listening? Who is the one that always points out what you don't have? What you aren't? Do you see the human nature? To see the flaw in me. It's natural to compare and to see the flaw. Let me, let me show that to you in some other scriptures. Let's kind of play this out in the scriptures. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now we got to get our bearings, so go to 17. 1 Samuel, Old Testament, 1 Samuel 17 to get the story and then turn to 18. So yell out, what's the story in 17? You know it. David and Goliath, okay? So king of Israel is Saul. Saul is the guy who should defeat Goliath. Saul's the leader. Saul's the captain. He's the king of Israel. He's been with the army. He's won mighty victories. And along comes this little pipsqueak shepherd boy and takes out the Goliath and wins the war. Chapter 18, they're heading home. And the women come out singing. Now tell me what the women are singing in verse 7. Chapter 8, now go to 18. What are the women singing in chapter 18, verse 7? Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his ten thousands. Now how's, that, how's Saul going to react to that? How was Saul, now do you think Saul's a little sensitive to the fact that he couldn't beat Goliath and this little pipsqueak came around and did? Is he feeling great about himself in this moment? And now the women are singing, David, David. Now watch human nature. Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David 10,000. And to me they have ascribed, but thousands. Tell me what he just did with the word but. Let me read it again. Let me read it again. To David they have ascribed his thousands, and to me they have ascribed, but thousands. Tell me what he's doing. And not only is he comparing, what's he doing with the word but? He's, he's devaluating his accomplishment because why? Something good happened to someone else. We have a human tendency because something good is happening to you to tear ourselves down. Because you're pretty, I feel bad about myself. We tear ourselves down. I was once teaching this lesson to another group of college students and this girl raised her hand and she just told the perfect story. This girl, girl A, likes a boy who likes girl B. So girl A likes the boy who likes girl B. Now girl A and girl B are on lots of classes together and she knows that he likes her. 
So tell me what happens when girl A and girl B get together. Girl A says, why does he like her and not me? And then says, oh, that's why. And because of that, every time she sees her, what does she do to herself? She butts herself. She butts herself. To David, they have ascribed 10,000. And to me, they have ascribed but thousands. Because she's pretty, I'm a loser. Because she's pretty, I'm a loser. Do you see the human nature there? Do you see how sad that is? Now, what? What am I keeping out of my life as a tear? Who I am and what I've done. Paul is, or Saul is tearing himself down because someone has done something good. And I know we do it. Why don't people like reunions? Why don't people like to go back to their high school reunions? Because what do we do? What game do we play at high school? Can you imagine going back after 10 or 15 or 20 years and going back to your college and what, are, what, what game are we gonna do? Oh, you became that? And we butt ourselves. Your children are where? And we butt ourselves. You're doing what? And we butt ourselves. Now, let me show you the contrast. Can you think of a Book of Mormon story where someone was in this same situation? There's, a, there's an equivalent story in the Book of Mormon. Five friends struck down by an angel all go on missions. Where do these four go? Where do these four go? The coolest mission in the entire world. They go to the Lamanites and convert thousands of them. This one goes where? Ammoniah, where the women and children get burned. When do they meet up? But what's going on? What's the situation? Alma's coming out of Ammoniah, the destruction of the people he preached to. The Lamanites came in and slaughter the city. And on the way out, he meets... Ammon, Aaron, Omner, and Himni coming back with thousands of Lamanite converts. Do you see the same potential here? Do you see the moment where he could butt himself? He could say, you converted thousands of Lamanites and I got a Nephite city burned? Boy, I'm a winner. I'm a great missionary. Let me show you the contrast. Ready? Alma chapter 29, one of the great chapters of the Book of Mormon. And I've never said that before, right? That the Book of Mormon has a good chapter? Sorry, I say that with every chapter, but bear with me. Alma chapter 29, one of the most fantastic contributions because of this tendency to tear myself down, to butt myself. All right, Alma chapter 29. Oh, that I were an angel, and I wish I could shake the earth when I bore testimony, but I can't. I do sin in my wish, for I ought to be content with the things that the Lord hath allotted unto me. And then Alma says, I want you to compare Saul, who butted himself, to Alma. 
I know that which the Lord hath. Let's choose, let's change some words. What if I were to read it? I know that which the Lord hath made me. I know that which the Lord hath given me. And I glory in it. I know who I am. And I glory in it. I glory in all the trees that I get to eat. I glory in the battles that I have won. I am not defined by the battle I didn't win. I glory in who I am. Now, sometimes people push back and say, you can't do that. That's pride. No, listen to the rest of this. I do not glory in myself, but I glory in that which the Lord hath commanded me. It is not. I just pray you'll, you'll hear me and let the Holy Ghost testify. It is not an act of pride to be grateful for what God has done in your creation. That is not an act of pride. It becomes an act of pride when you compare. But it is not an act of pride to say, I know who I am. I know what I'm not. I know what I can do and I know what other people can do better than I can. And I glory in my creation. I own my story. And I'm going to stop comparing it to someone else's story. I am not a tear. And I'm not going to push who I am out anymore. I know what I am and I know what I'm not. And I glory in what I am. Oh, how I wish every one of you would have that moment, that Alma 29.9 moment where you say, I know who I am. And I glory in it. My oldest two are girls. They are now about to turn 31 and 29. <clears throat> Let me take you back to when they were 12 and 10 or eight and six or 14 and 12. My oldest, has always been model thin. She's given birth to three children and you would, look, you would think she's a 17-year-old. She is model thin. My second has always been very strong, a strong woman, bigger than her older sister. Now, let me go back to preteen. Tell me what happened when they went clothes shopping for school. You know, you're, you're already groaning. And the younger one tries on bigger clothes than her older sister. Abby's shaking her head. Hannah's probably sitting there saying, been there, done that. 
Now tell me what happens in the head of my daughter, my second daughter, when she tries on larger clothes than her older sister. Tell me what she does. She butted herself. She come, came home absolutely distraught, <coughs> weeping, upset, mad. To David, they have ascribed 10,000, and to me, they have ascribed but thousands. She was tearing herself apart. So I went to talk to her, and I sat down, and I asked her an intriguing question. I said, if you could trade bodies with your sister, but had to trade lives and be her, would you trade? Guess what the answer was? No, I don't want to be her. I just want to look like her. I want to be me. Now, do you see the silliness? You like who you are, but there's one little thing, and that's what you're focused on. You have forgotten all the things you love about being you, and you're focused on the one thing you don't like. So do you want to be you or not? I want to be me. So when are you going to have an Alma 29.9 moment? When are you going to have the moment that says, I know who I am. I know who I am and I glory in it. I remember teaching one year, I was at a high school and I taught a sophomore who was 6'3". A girl, a sophomore girl who was 6'3". Now, can you imagine how a 6'3 girl walks into the room when she's a sophomore in high school? Can you picture that? How does a 6'3 sophomore girl walk in the room? Because, tell me her thinking. I don't like being tall. I don't like being tall. I watched her all year long, her whole sophomore year. I saw her slouching everywhere. Then she made the volleyball team and then the basketball team. And pretty soon she began to realize what she was. By her senior year, how would you guess, how would you hope that she walked in the room? She walked in the room her senior year, head up, taller than every other boy in the room. And she didn't care because why? What moment had she had? What was the great moment that somewhere along the line happened? I'm 6'3", and I glory. I own my story. I know who I am, and God made something phenomenal when he made me. She finally let the person she had been keeping out of her life in. Now, I believe wholeheartedly you can have an Alma 29.14 moment only when you have an Alma 29.9 moment. I'm going to write that because I want you to remember this. You will, if you can have an Alma 29.9 moment, then you can have an Alma 29 14 moment. I honestly believe with all my soul, you will never have an Alma 14 moment until you have an Alma 29.9 moment. 
So what happens in 14? As a contrast to Saul and David, as soon as Alma knew who he was, what happens? I can rejoice in the good things that happen to you. They don't tear me down. I'm not threatened by your success. The comparison doesn't tear me down because I know who I am. I love this moment. Instead of, you baptized how many? <sighs> what was Alma doing? You baptized how many? But my joy is, but my, but I do not joy in my own success alone, but my joy is what? More full. I am happier because of your success. Isn't that a better way to live? Why do we keep living? I am budding myself because of your success versus I am happier because of your success. It doesn't threaten me. Now, what is the moment? When is the moment your success no longer threatens me? When I accept who I am. When I stand up tall, I know who I am. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm better than you, but I am rejoicing in my creation. Now, it is fitting the story I'm about to share, the quotation I'm about to give you. It is very, it's going to make me emotional. It's very fitting who I'm about to quote. Can you imagine being Pat Holland and being married to Jeffrey R. Holland? Can you imagine? She passed away today. Pat Holland passed away today. Can you imagine being married to Jeff Holland? Pat Holland is very shy and quiet. Can you imagine being married to Jeff Holland? Can you imagine grocery stores and church meetings and family reunions? Can, you just, can I just let you picture that life of Pat being married to Jeff and getting lost can you see it possibly happening that Pat gets lost being married to Jeff? Can I read to you what Pat Holland said? Her own words. Our Heavenly Father needs us as we are. As we are growing to become, he has intentionally made us different from one another so, even, so that even with our imperfections, we can fulfill his purposes. My greatest misery comes when I feel I have to fit what others are doing or what others expect, or what I think others expect me to be. I am most happy when I am comfortable being me and trying to do what my Heavenly Father and I expect from me. For many years, I tried to measure the oft times quiet, reflexive, thoughtful Pat Holland against the robust, bubbly, talkative, and energetic Jeff Holland and others with life. How's she going to fare in that comparison? 
How do you think she's going to fare in that comparison? I have learned through several fatiguing failures that you cannot have joy in being bubbly if you are not a bubbly person. It is a contradiction in terms. What was she trying to do? What was she trying to be? Something she wasn't. Because he got so much attention for what he was. She was trying to be him. And where was the real Pat Holland? What was happening to the real Pat Holland? It was disappearing. The more she tried to be what she couldn't. I love her expression here. I have learned through several fatiguing failures that you can't have joy in being bubbly if you're not a bubbly person. It's a contradiction in terms. I have given up seeing myself as a flawed person because my energy level is lower than Jeff's and I don't talk as much as he does, nor as fast. Let me read that again. I have given up seeing myself as a flawed person because my energy level is lower than Jeff's and I don't talk as much as he does, nor as fast. Now, what happens when she embraces who she is? What's going to happen? You can't have an Alma 2914 moment until you have an Alma 299 moment. As soon as she accepts who she is and stops seeing herself as flawed because I'm not what you are, what's going to happen? Can you tell me what the next sentence is going to say without even reading it? Giving this up. Giving this up has freed me to embrace and rejoice in my own manner and personality and the measure of my creation. Ironically, it has allowed me to admire and enjoy Jeff's qualities even more. But what was his personality doing to her? What was she letting his personality do to her? By comparing, by comparing, she was budding herself and she was disappearing. When she finally said, I am Pat Holland, not Jeff Holland. And God made me the way I am on purpose as a glorious creation. The moment she embraced who she was, what happened when she looked at Jeff? Instead of his qualities tearing her down, his qualities will now do what? Do you see the secret? That's a better way to live. What's flowing here when we're doing that? She, her joy was more full. Somewhere, somehow, the Lord helped me see that my personality was created to fit precisely the mission and talents he gave me. Miraculously, I have found that I have untold abundant sources of energy to be myself. But the moment I indulge in imitation of my neighbor, I feel fractured and fatigued and find myself forever swimming upstream. We frustrate God's plan for us and deprive this world and God's kingdom of our unique contributions and a serious schism settles in our soul. God will never give us any task beyond our ability to accomplish it. We just have to be willing to do it our own way. 
we will always have enough resources for being who we are and what can we, we can become. I think the greatest contribution, the greatest tribute you can pay to Pat Holland is to learn that lesson. And stop tearing yourself down because of what you're not. So let me add one more set of scripture, one more scripture. Why are you the way you are and not the way she is or he is? Why are you the way you are? Why is Hannah Hannah and not Rachel? Why is Rachel Rachel and not Hannah? Why am I who I am? Why did I get the gifts that I got and not the gifts that he got? Why? Section quiz. Only section given to a woman. Ooh, nope. 25? 25. Look at Gwen go. Section 25. Turn to section 25. Emma Smith. I know what you were thinking. She was the reason we have it. It was her cleaning up the... Anyway, I got your thinking right away. But go to section 25. This is to Emma Smith. Now, can you imagine being Emma and watching 11 other people be witnesses to the gold plates? I'm sorry, were you on the buggy the night we went to pick them up? Have you been there besides Joseph the whole time? Are you the one that would dust them and kind of ruffle them with your finger and still never looked at them? And who gets to see them? Was Emma Smith one of the witnesses of the Book of Mormon? Now, would that kind of grate at you a little bit? <laughs> I mean, that would kind of hit me. And so the Lord's going to address that. And it's a symbol of all of us and the thing that I didn't get to do but other people who may not deserve it like I do, did get to do. Why did they get to and I don't? Again, same idea, same doctrine, section 25, verse 4. The Lord's teaching the exact same thing. Let me get there. We'll pull it up. Section 25, verse 4. Now, Hear this as a symbol. Emma is a symbol here. Murmur not because of. Now fill in the blank. Murmur not because you're not as thin as she is. Murmur not because you can't do what they do. Murmur not because you weren't born to that family. Murmur not because of your body size or your body shape or your talent level or whatever you lack. Murmur not because of what I have withheld from you. Now, why has he withheld it? Do you see it in verse 4? Why has he withheld it? It is wisdom in me. It is wisdom in me why they got that and you got this. Don't play that game. 
It is wisdom in me, Emma, that you don't see these and other people do. And so I trust. Whenever I look at someone and say, man, I wish I had that life. What is he saying? No, no, you don't. Because I gave you what I know you need. It is wisdom in me that you have what you have and you don't have what you don't have. So tell me what I'm saying to God when I want to be that person. What am I saying to him? What you do me is not good enough. Yeah. I am criticizing the creator for not making me that. You screwed up. You're a fool. I don't ever want to say that to God, do you? Now, there's another twist on that. Not only is it wisdom in me. Let me play one more scripture. Not only is it wisdom in me, but let me do more, one more. In the Book of Mormon, do you remember that, the allegory of the tame and the wild olive tree? Jacob chapter 5. Book of Mormon, Jacob chapter 5. Do you remember the part where the wild tree goes bad? And he laments and says the following. No, I'm going to do it this way. I've colored it here. All right, sorry, Jacob 5. There comes a point where it all goes bad. Now look at verse 29. A long time passed, end of verse 30, all sorts of fruit did cumber the tree. The whole tree's gone bad. And then he says, verse 41. What could I have done more for my vineyard? What could I have done more? And then he answers the question. I need someone to read 47. Now, go beyond this little analogy, and here's the situation. This is me complaining about my life instead of getting that life. Anyone want to read 47? What does he say? What could I have done more? 47. Uh, but what could I have done more in my vineyard? Have I slackened my hand that I have not nourished it? Nay, I have nourished it, and I have digged about it, and I have pruned it, and I have dunged it, and I have stretched forth my hand almost all the day long, and the end rock night. And agree with me that I should hew down all the trees in my vineyard and cast them into the fire that they should be burned. Who is it that has corrupted my vineyard? So what's the answer to the question? What could God have done in my life that he hasn't done. Would anyone else's life be better for me? If someone else's life would have been better for me, what would God have done? He would have given me that life. The fact that God gave me this life says what? How would you answer that question? My life is my best chance at salvation. 
If someone else's life would give me a greater chance at being saved, what would he have done? Therefore, not only is it wisdom in God to pull out of my life the things he's pulled out of my life, but any other life would not give me my best chance. If Abby wishes she had not fallen 70 feet after graduating from high school, if that life is the one she says would have been better for her, if that life had been better for Abby, what would God have done? Caught her. Her life is her best chance at salvation. Now that's hard doctrine. But with every ounce of my soul, I testify. He would not be doing something loving if he gave you someone else's life. That would not be an act of love because he knows what I need. You are not a tear. Your life is not a tear. Own your story. Rise up and say, thank you, Lord, for the life I have. I acknowledge with all my challenges that this is my best chance at salvation. And anyone else's life would not be. With all my soul, I would play, pray that you have an Alma 29.9 moment. I know who I am. And I glory in it. I testify that this will flow more abundantly when you do that. Revelation from God will flow abundantly when you acknowledge what he has done in your life and are grateful for it. And stop playing the silly game of that life would have been better. No, it wouldn't have. And the way I know that is he would have given it to you. I know that about him. My life is my best shot at salvation. So the sooner I embrace the gift that is my life, and stop living someone else's life, revelation will flow in greater abundance. Of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.